I took a trip down to London and I saw these amazing bits of paper just lying on the wall. I was really scrappy about that, but there was something about it that was really raw and really alive. And to me, connected to surfaces that reminded me of Africa. And um, I, I started doing these huge, rough uh, bits of paper paintings. And to me, that was a turning point in my art of actually just making things raw and connecting to, to something, a, a, a raw energy uh, that, that somehow connected to the feeling of walking barefoot on, on the African soil. This is the podcast, Creative at the Wheel, and I'm Julie Clare. As a transformational life coach and creativity guide, my life's work is helping people reshape their lives from the inside out. Here, I have deep dive conversations with luminaries who share about their own transformational journeys and how they became soul-sourced and creatively juiced. May their stories uplift and embolden all of us. Let's jump in. Today, my guest is Donald Hargrove. When I first talked with Donald, really recently, I heard a life of nature connection growing up in Zimbabwe, a tale of living through an apartheid system as a white boy. I heard his desire to be an artist and how this dream came true. And I heard some of the, how some of the biggest physical challenges I can imagine have showed, showed up in his life from suffering epilepsy, having cancer and a disease I had never heard before heard of before that brought a loss of his right arm, shoulder girdle, and substantial muscle loss to his right side. Today, we sit down together and talk about his life with art has been shaped by as many transformations in life, big energy shifts in his life. In what ways is it really true that, quote, out of the darkest mud rise, out of the darkest mud rises the most beautiful flowers, quote, and that's a quote from his bio. Donald currently lives in Glasgow, Scotland, and I'm talking to him from my northern New Mexico studio. Welcome in, Donald. Hey, Julie. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. And, you know, as we talked about, there's so much, um, so much that you've lived through, and I'm going to go right into your life with um, art and who you are right now, to give us a sense, sitting in Glasgow, and then I would like to jump and talk about the, your life in Zimbabwe. I've, I don't know much about that part of the world um, at that time in history. So, but to start, uh, what's it like to be you right now, where you are in your life, like your actual room, your physical room, your surroundings, being in your body? What, just give us a little check-in and what it is to be you right in this moment. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm speaking from uh, the south side of Glasgow. I'm in a, a tenement flat, top story. I'm looking up to uh, uh, a mighty fine view and um yeah so i'm a school teacher uh i speech uh, teach in a, a secondary sen school in art and design um i'm an artist and i teach yoga as well so i've got a few uh, strings to my bow um and yeah i've, I've uh, recently well five years ago as you say had a, a monumental uh, change in life and uh, I'm sitting here having having lost an arm and other bits and bobs but uh, you know I've come through that and um, living my life as best I can uh, with the challenges that that uh, that presents uh, but on the whole I have to say I feel I feel really blessed 
not only just to be alive, but to be able to live a good life. That's beautiful. Welcoming me into Glasgow. I'm right there with you. What is your, um, I guess I want to, what is your current, um, well, let's just jump right into Zimbabwe. What, what was like for you? This is a story I have not heard, but I know it is part of history. It, when Zimbabwe was Rhodesia, is that right? That's correct, yes. What was that like to grow up there and, and how at age, what, 16, you knew that you wanted to be an artist? Um, how did that all get started? What was that like? Yeah, so I was uh, born in um, Zimbabwe or Rhodesia, as it was called then. And um, yeah, you kind of grow up into whatever you grow up into. And, and it, the as a child, I suppose, you don't really question what, what arise that you you're born into it's just what you what you've arrived into um but the system and the country that i grew up into which was rhodesia then was a was a a complex mix of an incredible incredibly beautiful country um but a troubled country given the fact that it was uh dominated by a minority of white people uh, in, in, the, in the African continent. And uh, I became very aware at a young age of, of this um, uh, conflict that, that was there. And I feel I was born on, on a farm and at a very early age, was, I think I was two or three or something like that, we, we, we left this farm. Um, my, basically, the, the, we ran out of water there, and moved into into town. And uh, there was kind of segregation that existed between. We had white suburbs, you had black townships, and then you had sort of um, this unpleasant term of 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 coloured that pretty much filled the gap of everything else that existed within the middle of that. And, and we, so we lived in a sort of poorer end of town. And on the other side of the street there um, was, was a family of, of mixed race. And I became friends with, with uh, a couple of these lads. And that was probably my first kind of education into, you know, how, how life was for people that weren't white. And, you know, with this country, with this group of people, the grandmother was was an original African, and um, and her daughter was was half caste, and the children were of of different colours, of brown and white. Um, um, so they're basically so a complex. In, in another society, that might not be quite so complicated, but it was, well, let, let's face it, it's complicated everywhere. Race is a complicated issue. But here, um, it was so much to the extent that this African grandmother, was, the only way that she could legally live on that property was to be uh, the servant and live in the servant quarters in, in a shack in the backyard, and that's that's how that's what we're talking about. And so these two boys, who you know, we're talking between the ages of, of four and ten when when we were our, when we were friends, 
they were wired hardwired into into what their awareness of race and and um i thankfully i can be so grateful that my parents um encouraged that friendship and uh strongly um taught us not to be racist and and that wasn't the norm in the country and no, it really wasn't um and and I'm so aware that we're we are a product of of our of our um of our parents and had I been born into a different parent set I could have ended up with a completely different point of view on, on the world and so you know I, I I just feel really grateful for for that um Absolutely. What what was that like for you as a boy to, like you said, we don't, we're born into what we're born into. We, we take it as the water we swim in. What, what was your early life like there? Um, being, being exposed to that kind of complexity and racial divide. And essentially we're talking an apartheid system sounds like. Well, absolutely. It's uh, apartheid. I mean, the, the word apartheid was was a South African term, but but there, it was essentially no different in Rhodesia. Um, the the uh, and you know at the same time a war a war was raging on the borders of the country. Um, so It's difficult to kind of express what it was like because you know common everyday life just felt very very normal. Well, I was never really aware of there actually being a war going on for the best part of the time, apart from people kind of talking about this happening. But it wasn't like there was shooting in the streets. It was an incredibly safe place to grow up. I mean, we'd go wandering out into the bush in your bare feet, and you know the. the the level of freedom that I had as a child was just absolutely wonderful, you know. Um, so uh, as a playground to grow up in, uh, Rhodesia or Zimbabwe was just just the most joyful place to be. Um, and so it was mixed with uh, this sort of connection to landscape, connection to, to uh, so many friendly people, but also awareness of, of, of a, a divide that existed uh, yeah. and of which I'm completely a part of, you know, I mean, we, 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 my relationship on the whole to, to African people at that point in time was the cook and the gardener. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, and then how, how do we get to you being there, growing up, having this wildly free time, um, going to school how do we get to you being at age 16 knowing you want to be an artist what what happened well um it kind of led to the point uh prior to that really is that i i at age 12 i i i got epilepsy and that was a bit of a turning point in my life that um it caused complications with my learning and essentially uh, I mean I won't dwell on this much but it really it, uh, it the medications caused me problems in studying and um, the my parents realized that the simplest thing for me to do at this stage was was to uh, for me to leave school as early as I possibly could 
So at 16, I left school and I was something of a lost soul at this point, trying to find, figure out what to do. I loved art. I was already going to the Bulaway School of Art on a sort of um, casual basis for classes. Um, and we went to see Alex Lambert, who ran. Uh, uh, so the Bulaway School of Art was a school that existed within Bulaway City itself, but had the, its original sort of uh, centre was in the townships and Zilikazi Art Centre. And uh, anyway, an offer was made that we that I might be able to attend um, in Zilikazi that was being run in Bulaway Art School. And uh, on the basis of understanding that I would be the only uh, white kid in, in the class in the school, uh, basically in Zilikazi was set up in the first instance to um, provide for craftspeople that were working on the streets of, of Bulaway and uh, uh, Zimbabwe at the time, or Rhodesia at that time. And, you know, I grabbed that with both hands, but, you know, given what was going on at the time, the, this, this was now sort of 76, the war ended in 1980, the, you know, things were really hotting up, and um, here I was, 16-year-old boy sitting in a classroom uh, with, I was the only white guy, basically. and. Uh, you know, I, it was the most amazing year. I was treated with such kindness. Um, I was basically just another person in the room. And um, it was a proper education. I would say that, that, that my art education was by far the least, but the smallest part of my education. And I had an opportunity to go places that most white kids didn't get to go. You know, I... I would go into the townships frequently with these guys, which you know, pr wouldn't be a place that a white child would, would uh, be heading into. And, and um, yeah, it was just a very, very special time. And I think the thing is probably what I alluded to in the beginning is, is you know, when, when you're in things, and especially as a child, you just accept what's in front of you and without challenging it or questioning it. And, and, it's only later on when I look back on that and I just like think to myself, my God, that was actually an incredible uh, opportunity and time that you had that just came upon me by, by chance. When you look at it now, Donald, do you, do you think it, I mean, I'm hearing you say it didn't take courage. It was natural. It was what was showing up. It was the moment. But what do you think it, it gave you as a kid or who was it in you that felt totally yes to being the only white boy in the class and sounds like didn't, didn't think too much about that um, as a question whether or not to go. Is that, I hear you giving credit to your parents, yeah. but, but what, what's your sense of how that continued to shape you in terms of adventure or curiosity or boldness or acceptedness? You know, I don't know. I think already. I mean, I I had even from from a young age with with you know with with, the, with these uh, kids down and and uh, from growing up at, from across the road uh, when I was between sort of six and ten, developing that friendship and developing a very strong sense of of the right and wrong of 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 the race issue, and. Um, and whilst you know that we then after ten years old, I moved into into uh, the suburbs, and um, that those friendships drifted just as a result of um, change of proximity. But 
um, that feeling that I had of uh, that ra that racism was basically just wrong, and mm -hmm. uh, and I was exposed to it frequently, and you know, but uh, and and I can't say that I ever spoke out about it, and I would be around it. People's houses and fathers talking about in an extremely racist way and all the rest of it, and it's not like I would, as a child, say, "Excuse me, I think you're out of turn here." I wouldn't do that, but um, it it just felt it felt okay and it felt fine. And I, and I suppose also the other thing was was attending uh, you know, this guy Alex Lambert who set up Bulaway Art School. Um, he was a real pioneer. He was a white man. Uh, but he was a real pioneer for for the African at that at that time, and so the Bulaway Art School was pr essentially providing art classes for white folk, right? Um, but were being run a lot. A lot of the classes were being run by the African artists who were, and, and teachers who were working in Zilikasi in the townships. So because I was attending these classes and my teachers were African. Um, I was developing a, a, a relationship with these people already. So, you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't some, it wasn't like such a big shock to me. Um, you know, you would never go into a normal school at that time and have a black teacher. That just would never happen, you know. It's amazing. Um, yeah. So, what was uh, your, what was your artistic when you were starting? What, or what, what was it like to express? Was it, what was it like to actually do art at that point in that situation? Um, well, I had I had one particularly brilliant uh, teacher. He was actually a, a, an Indian guy called Rashid Yogi, um, and he actually died just fairly recently. Uh, and yeah, he, he was. Uh, I'm sure he wouldn't be offended for me to call him completely crazy, um, but he, he really was. He, he he was just a complete insane energy of creativity. Um, and and uh, for doing my art classes, which was dull as dishwater in school, um, to somebody who, who who just would encourage you just to throw stuff around and have 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 a joyful time, and and yeah, I de developed a friendship with this man, and you know I would show up in his flat. Uh, uh, yeah, this is probably one of my openings into witnessing the, the the insanity of the war that was going on. You know, because he was actually doing his service at one point, and I showed up in his flat in the evening, and it um, his flat was just complete, just paint absolutely everywhere. But uh, he was he was clearly um, pretty. Uh, disturbed by the experience of war. Now, I, I had no no idea of what was going on in the borders of the country. I was aware that there was a war, but you know, um, it's only since I've done reading and got understanding of what what horrors that that he will have been dealing with and and exposed to um, that uh, you know that that gave me a window into it. Um, yeah. But, uh, so he yeah. he. Amidst all of that, he was a voice for um, play and enjoying yourself. Joy, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, it, it was one of the most alive people I've, I've ever met in, in my you know in my life. It, it is a, a real, real joy, um, and 
you know, we, we all have our complexities and, and um, I think li- living in a country where you where you have have such such complex issues going on that those are only going to be exacerbated. But but yes, his joy really fed into my creativity as a young lad, and and I would say that I could definitely credit uh, Rashid as one of my inspirations and uh, my drivers to really really want to be an artist. Mm. You know, some people they go to art school say maybe it's after in this country high school. So it would be after the, you know, like maybe 18 years old or something, they go into this school and there's, there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of, um, I wouldn't say joy is the common ingredient to the learning there. I mean, Uh that's a pretty big statement, but there's a lot about technique and what's good and bad and what the, what, how the art world looks at your work and how you fit in or don't fit in. And (laughs) just, don't get me started, but, but, you know, a lot yeah. of people love it for some people it's freedom because they can be surrounded with other people doing art. And for some people, you know, they get shut down. It's, it's, a, it's, it's just as, as varied as individuals. But when I hear joy as a, a, a really an entrance into art and how it stayed with you, one of your early inspirations, how did that, how does that affect you still? Or how did, how did you carry that with you when you when you left? How did that live, live in you? Cause it sounds like you made kind of a decision of, or somehow it kept building that you wanted to keep going with art. Um, well, yes, I mean it certainly. Um, at, at that point, it was the only thing I wanted in life. You know, it really was. I wanted so so. We, I left Zimbabwe in in nineteen seventy eight. It was a breakup. There was a few reasons: a breakup of my parents' marriage. It was a recognition that uh, well, if I were to stay on, I was going to get. Like, Get called up into the army. In fact, I did. I did get my call-up papers just before we 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 left. And so my mother and I came over to Scotland, which is where um, my mother's originally from. And um, and it was a bit complicated because I didn't. I wouldn't. Didn't have qualifications to get into art school, and the likelihood of me getting them at that point in time uh, was was pretty slim. Um, but. Uh, I managed to get on in on the five percent, which is basically they had a five percent quota that that uh, providing the the uh, portfolio was of the highest con- level. So I spent a year doing it, putting my entire energies into making that portfolio, and and got into art school. And that was a real turning point for me because I, you know then I could see that I could I had this chance to do something and and, and actually be an artist, and. I had a very singular vision of what being an artist was at that point. And, and you know, there were a few students in there that who were coming to art school to be uh, school teachers. And I just couldn't, I couldn't make sense of that. To me, that was just, um, you know, I was a appalling snob, you know. Uh, so <laughs> I've, I've got my comeuppance that I'm now a school teacher. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, and, All right, you know, so, and I, so now you're in Scotland and you've got, um, you really gave it focus. And what I hear is real commitment, a singular vision. There was a drive. You knew it's what you wanted to do and, and it opened for you. And so who, who are you? Are you like a, a realist kind of guy? Are you an expressive abstract? Who was starting to show up um, there as an artist? Like what kind of voice in you found a place to express itself? Um. 
Well, through, through art school, pretty traditional uh, teachings that we had. You know, we were doing a lot of life drawing, um, which I, you know, I absolutely loved. I, I, um, and so the sort of traditional path at that point really suited me. I, I, I loved just, just drawing and I, I loved line drawing. I still love line drawing. To me, line drawing is just one of the most amazing things. You know, it's... it's um, there's something about that singular uh, connection to the paper where there's no, there's no. Um, I mean, one, one, one might be just taking the the pen for a walk, but on the other, it's really just holding true to 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 the line of whatever you're drawing, and essentially for me, feeling that energy. Um, and the the energy of of whatever I'm drawing for me is is really really important um, that I somehow get into what I'm drawing, um, but and I don't mean like sort of get it get into it by by, by being enthusiastic about it, but actually becoming it um, that I actually have some sense that I I am this thing, and and when I feel that sense of connection. I feel that that comes after a period of time of doing it. It's not like it instantly arrives on me, but um, whilst I'm drawing or whilst I'm painting, at a certain point, I feel this sort of sense that that there's not there's less of a separation between me and it. And, and when I'm really in it, I feel like there's no separation at all. Uh, and that's, that's a really joyful thing. Oh, it's beautiful. Immersion. I hear immersion. I hear... Immersion. What- yeah. yeah, and uh, a dissolving um, into time. I think of that as passion in a way when we lose track of the time when we become, we're in that moment. Um, and it was beautiful, the the power of that possibility. And you definitely have experienced it. I, in my mind, I'm still holding that you've been brought in with an incredible level of potency and joy in your early days in Zimbabwe, reduced to Zimbabwe. And now here you are and you've gotten in and you're doing all this. And to this day, it sounds like that's your relationship with art, but there's all these pauses, right? When you said it's not always that way. And a lot of us live in a lot of those pauses and we wonder what, what is that like for you? Say, if you haven't done art for a while, cause you've had many pauses, right? Even going through this recent um, serious, serious health challenge. I'm sure there was, a long time where you weren't making art, right? I'm assuming. Oh, oh no, absolutely. Yeah. I, I've had um, some some serious years where I've not made any art. Um, you know, after uh, after art school, I, I, I moved on to, to to London and continued making art there for. Um, well, I was there for ten years. The sort of the latter part of that period, uh, I, I began to kind of lose my vitality for art and it was starting to get into other um yeah other stuff i suppose but i just um i think toward the end of my period in london i was i was probably just finding being an artist a pretty isolated experience and that the, the whole thing of just being in a studio day in and day out, uh, you know, it's quite a good recipe for madness. Um, and I felt like I needed more of a of a connection uh, with people and 
um, for my creativity to be more about than just me and my, my the canvas or the sculpture or the, whatever I was working with. And um, and whilst it wasn't thought out maybe as clearly as that at the time, uh, that was what I needed. And uh, that's just, so I ended up getting into teaching and uh, for the next few decades, uh, my, I didn't really make art at all. My creativity came out uh, in, in music and drumming and uh, samba and, and that kind of thing. Wow. And, you know, when yeah. I hear that you had at the end of those 10 years and then you, you made this shift towards a little more into connection from this isolation, uh, I totally get it. Um, I, I often talk with people who are going from one place to more connection, to less creating, to more creating, getting uh-huh. to a point where they need, you know, in and out of this, some of what you just spoke to. Um, but what, can I just ask you, what was it like to be done with the art school and be in London when it was really happening at the beginning of those 10 years? Cause my sense was that you were supported somehow by, by, uh, either grants, not, not you individually, but there, that there was, um, a possibility ability in London for young artists to actually make a go of it. I, I absolutely. I mean, they had a um, time in Dundee after art school was pretty tough, and there was not not much going on there, and really felt like I needed a move, and and, and uh, made an application to this um, artist-based company called Housing Association called Acme. Brilliant uh, uh, organization set up by a couple of artists who who saw the opportunity of a huge amount of properties just sitting empty year after year. Uh, the only reason being is that they were on a pathway of a motorway, a proposed motorway or a proposed hospital build or whatever. And um, the reason they'd keep them empty is because they... Um, it's so difficult to get people out of them once they're in them and they want their properties back. So essentially, uh, they would just let them be and they would end up getting vandalised or squatted in or whatever. Um, so the, the basically, they went to, to, to them and, and said, well, we'll manage your properties, put artists into them on a licence agreement and uh, give them back to you on, on a month's notice. So uh, I was one of those artists. Uh, and basically got uh, a double-storey house in the east end of London uh, for a peppercorn rent of £110 a month. <laughs> God, and how important so, it is when we think about being supported as artists to have something like that. Yeah. Right? And we have. I mean, not just you. We, we, we get these, you know, we get these opportunities that allow things to happen. Mm, um, yeah. So, so, you know, I mean, that was a huge opportunity. And, yeah. And, uh, uh, initially, I went down uh, with another artist, and we shared a house for five years. And then uh, I, I got one on my own as well after for the following five years. So um, that uh, and basically, they the, the deal was is that you could do with whatever you wanted with the property. If you wanted to knock out walls, so it's, you could do absolutely anything, providing it was safe. Uh, essentially, you treated it as your own. And uh, in this case, it was a motorway route. Um, so yeah, every other house along the route for, for miles was an artist. Um, and so yeah, we had a tremendous 
a community of artists. You go to go down to your local pub, and it was just buzzing with artists. And um, once a year, we'd have open studio exhibitions, and the Whitechapel uh, Gallery would organise coach loads of people coming around, dropping in and out of people's houses, um, which were, you know, the, the studios as well. And so, what I mean, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No. It just made for. Uh, uh, an amazingly creative uh, environment. What was this? Um, was this the eighties? No. Yeah, that was nineteen eighty-four. Went to London, so I was, I was there from eighty-four to ninety-six or something like that. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, so lots going on then. Um, I know people. I know a couple people who were made it. It was made available to them to buy really inexpensive as artists uh, to buy a flat in London at that yeah. time in the late eighties. Um, anyway, so um, when I partly what I'm hearing is basically, you know, some of the people I work with. What you're just speaking to is is their dream. Every other house and artist on this motorway, you could do whatever you want in the space. You've got such low rent. You have this open studio thing once a year. You've got community, all this stuff, right? And um, we could talk about how cool and everything it was, but I want to I wanna bring us up to date a little more. And also just the fact that at a certain point, there was still an isolation in that at the end of 10 years, which is a long run. That's a long yeah. run. I mean, that is yeah. a long run. Um, there's like something else needs to happen here. I, I, I Something else. I, I hear a call to a greater context or meaning. I'm not sure but something. And so you go into teaching um, and you get that going. And yeah. I know you're still a teacher. So this has been something and you didn't do artwork for, for some decades. Right. Yeah. And it brings, how, how did that shift again? Where, where is the next transformation for you finding art again in terms of your own personal self and, and how the, your body situation helped shape that or continues to shape that. Yeah. Um, well, um, the the so yeah, for, well, fight. So some come along basically working through being a teacher, um, and then yeah, this event occurred five years back with yeah. with uh, necrotizing. And this is basically I trained as a yoga teacher at fourteen years ago, uh, which I started doing as well as as being um, an so, and I'd, but we'd gone off on a trip to to Crete, and uh, so at that point I was very fit, didn't drink, didn't smoke, and uh, just out of the blue, this thing happened, uh, major major health crisis, and overnight ended up in in hospital, and uh, basically spent the next four months with having operations, cutting off bits of my body, and. Uh, you know, it was a, it was needless to say a monumental crisis, uh, which the, the amount of times that I've spoken to after uh, after operations uh, by a surgeon saying we didn't expect you to make it through that it's a miracle yeah. that you're still alive that that's just such a common thing to have heard again and again and um, so repeatedly after these operations because they had to continue to get it remove it from your body is that. Yeah, well, basically, you know, you've got a very, very short time frame to to, to firefight necrotizing fasciitis, uh, uh, and so the the I think there was something like seventeen operations 
um, in in a very short time frame. Um, and yeah, my arm, my shoulder girdle, and most of the muscle tissue off the right side of my trunk has has all been removed. Um, and then it turned out there was cancer in the colon as well. So it, you know, it's just a crazy story. But um, the needless to say, a massive massive trauma. And I, and I suppose I'm probably. The, the the processing of that is still underway. Yeah. Uh, but how can it not be? I mean, I hear total life and death situation. You have doctors telling you there's, it's amazing. You made it even through the surgery. And um, it was such a surprise. It sounds like overnight from Crete experiencing kind of this full health experience yeah. and then immediately coming back to this. That's, that's talk about trauma and shock. I can't imagine that yeah. was only five years ago. So and how are you finding what's helping you mostly here to work through that? And it sounds like you got really quickly back to work, like within a year, which to me sounds really quick given all that. Well, I mean, the recovery was was remarkable. And one of the things that they did say to me was that, you know, had I been uh, uh, your average guy, um, or I would have I, w- I would have died. And it was really because of. And it was really because of the fact that I got um, my yoga practice that I was so fit that that that's what pulled me through. Um, you know, you know I, I just feel incredible gratitude to the NHS that, that you know that the NHS in, in, in Glasgow and in, in the UK is uh, the service that I got from them was just quite extraordinary. National uh, Health Service. National Health Service, yeah. yeah. So you know, four months in hospital, didn't pay a penny. Okay, I mean, of course, it's paid through your your, your taxes, but the, more over the fact that I, I really couldn't fault the service I got. You know, it was yeah. quite extraordinary, real love, a service of of, of love, um, and huge, huge gratitude to my wife and to family and friends who, who stood by me. Uh, Day in day out. So, you know, I, I think you don't you don't come through stuff like that without that without massive amount of love around you, and you know mm. I, I'm ever grateful for that. Um, but yeah. So a year later from that, you're actually on. going back back into teaching. How did? Oh, well, and, yeah, and then somehow art came back in. Catch us up with those two things. It's great. It's, it's yeah. a wild tale, and I, and I still picture this kind of, I don't know, wild beauty of growing up in nature and with close connection as a kid. Uh, I also hear love there. I, I hear, yeah, being part of something um, that was pretty big. Um, so here you are. How did that? How have you done that? And dealing with this trauma and come back in the way you have. Yeah, well, um, I think, you know, I mean, work has actually been a really important part of that. Um, I was supported really well in in my return to work. And um, I, I, uh, (laughs) for a good, good while, I would, I would just lay a mat down in my classroom at lunchtime and just fall asleep uh, to be able to make it through the second part of the day. Um, and, but, you know, there's something about this, 
we all long not to go to not we all long not to have a job and just to not to do nothing. But actually, times like this actually realise the importance of work and you know, that that thing of actually getting out and doing service for others. And yeah, I have a wonderful job. I, I absolutely I really love it. I work work with Asian kids in a in a small school, and um, it's a very very creative, joyful environment to be working in. Um, and so. I think it's trying to get the balance of not getting so exhausted that you do yourself in, but at the same time getting um, getting myself out uh, out of my own head. Yeah. The and 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 away from the the away from the awareness of pain. That's just an ever present thing that's going on in the background. Um, and you know when I, when I'm active and I'm out there, um, I'm not focusing on it. And when I'm at home, it just becomes a monster in the mind. And, yeah. Um, so that's. Uh, so it that, sounds like it that, brought that, you into that. Helpful. Yeah, work. It sounds yeah. like brought you into those energies that helped you with pain, but also gave you a. a a fulfillment of some kind that could help bring you out of, like you said, that being at home in your head, right. Is really bringing you into something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and then COVID comes, comes along. Yeah. And, um, and that was the big, the next big change, of course. And it's not just my life, everybody's life. And, and um, so we're, we're now working from home and uh, in lockdown and uh, with it, we're allowed out for a day, an hour a day for our, our daily walks. And um, I'm trying to invent uh, lessons for kids. And, you know, COVID, COVID's brought so much misery. I mean, there's no question about that, but um, it, it did also bring some some or lockdown at least did bring some some amazing surprises as well. It's certainly for me. Uh and um there was some that those daily walks, I mean, I'm, I don't know if it's the same for you on your side of the world, but uh No, the idea of a daily walk was not happening here. We had um all kinds of different really? levels of lockdowns, but yeah, no. Of course, I live okay. in, for me, now, yeah, there was no limit on anything like that. You could be outside as much right. as you wanted, yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know, nature just came to life. Uh, I've never seen, I've never seen nature so, so, so bright and beautiful. Uh, and, and, and this was just simply from not having cars polluting the air. Uh, and the, the, every blade of grass just seemed brighter and, and every flower mm. was fuller and, um, and the amount of insects and birds were around, just incredible. I remember at one point, I remember my wife and I sitting on, on the patch of grass in our local park and, and I swear there must have been a bumblebee every 12 inches on this huge patch of grass. And that's just mind-blowing. Um, and but also I think the very fact that you only had an hour to walk really honed your senses into extracting every bit of pleasure out of this experience. Um, so I felt really alive at that point, and, and there was something uh, in me that was coming alive. 
or, or a connectedness to nature or reconnectedness. And at the same time, I'm trying to, to create lessons for my kids. And um, I was filming um, myself at my kitchen table doing drawings using my, my phone and camera and stuff like this and sending up these things out for them to draw or paint this and that. And it, it occurred to me that I, uh, I might invest in a digital pad and uh, this would um, give them a better quality uh, demonstration. And that was the, and what, bought, basically just bought one of these cheaper things. And this was my inroad into digital art. Uh, and I just, something triggered in me. I just became, uh, basically just started drawing every plant in the house. And there was uh, a joyfulness about it, a real connection to it. And, um, and I think the connection with that sense of being alive and connected with nature and feeling, feeling the aliveness of even just the plants around the house um, and discovering the potential of this medium uh, was really exciting for me. And, and before I knew it, I was churning out these pictures. Um, and you know, within within the first year, I've done a hundred paintings or so. <laughs> yeah, paintings are beautiful. I mean, you've got a great online site. Um, it's your name, right? Donald Hargrove dot um, yeah. co. Um, and we'll put that in the liner notes, but incredible right. amount, like you said, a hundred pieces in the first year, just pouring. It just seems like they're pouring through you. Have you gotten their urge to pick up a brush um, or are you completely um, kind of engaged with the digital? Uh, no, I'm, I'm actually at this moment um, setting up and organizing um, a physical studio Um I'm actually converting my, my my yoga studio back into a painting studio, um, so uh, we do we do have we're, we're blessed with space that so we've we've got um, we have a separate yoga studio that we can use. It. So I'm not taking our only yoga space, but um, so uh, yeah, that's uh, that's an exciting. Uh, possibility to to go back into painting again um which uh oh, we'll see how it goes i've not I've not entered that yet uh yeah but it's but, a possibility that's showing up to discover or oh, not no, absolutely. yeah absolutely. it sounds like actually I'm, commitment to trying it out actually if you're turning this the yoga space one of them into our studio that's where you are and, and so this covid I, I have to say i resonate with the lockdown the quietness the lack of traffic the natural mm. beauty coming stronger. We had that here um, around around the country here um, for sure. And everybody talking about it and the pollution going down. And so I, I completely resonate, um, but we didn't have the an hour a day thing. That was mine. Uh, but right. in that potency, in that aliveness, and I wrote that down, that connection to being alive and that connection to living things and you're and you just starting and just moving through the digital art. And now it's, it's continuing and we'll see where this goes too. And you continue yep. to teach. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I've, you know, each year I think to myself, shall, shall I call it a day this year? Um, and now I've just had the best year in teaching this year. It's been such fun. You know, I, I, we've, 
Uh, and, and a lot of success as well. You know, I think coming back from out of lockdown and it's been a real drag for it for everybody. And um, we managed to persuade the school to purchase iPads and got the kids into digital arts. And uh, in fact, we even had some real success to two of my kids won, won prizes in the Royal Scottish Academy this year. Wow. Took first and second prizes. So. <laughs> wow! So I'm mean about that, and yeah, it's quite special for me because I actually I, I took that prize myself many years ago uh, when I was a student in art school. Um, so uh, you know, I, I'm delighted for them, and uh, it's very special. But what is it? I mean, I know we only have a couple minutes left here, but what is it that you love to see happening for the kids in your class? Um. Through art, yeah, or being together in that way. I think you know, work, working with this the, this type of children, a lot of them have challenges in uh, language and and uh, math and so on. Uh, and but quite often we'll find that that they have quite extraordinary skills in in art and and so the the ability for for to see something really blossom in, in a child that might be having a lot of difficulty elsewhere. It's just, it's just an absolute joy. Um, and, and I suppose it's, it's, it's really about just having fun. You know, if, if I can, if I can bring happiness to, to in, in a creative space in a classroom, that then as far as I'm concerned, you know that that's the biggest result you're going to get. You know, winning these competitions is great, but but it's it, that's absolutely not the, the be all and end all. That that's just a wee perk that comes along along the way. Um, yeah, smiling smiling children who 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 love being creative. That's that's the best as good as it gets. Do you see them? I mean, do you see the impact that has when they find joy in something they're actually good at or feel good at? Um, do you see them change as people? No, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I've I've had kids who've sort of started off uh, uh, in the early years who've been you know, really um, difficult children, should we say? Yeah. Challenging, challenging, and um, and who have ended up. Uh, you know, my my my, my fourth year class this year. I've never seen anything like it, really. You know that they come in day after day, take out their work, and just start working. And you know, I'm not crediting this to myself. It's just they're great students. They're working really well, really, really well. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's the joy of it is is when when it when it works. You know, um, other times it doesn't. You've got to grate against and push and but. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Maybe things just went well this year, but I've, I've had a great year. And, and, I'm uh, thrilled to hear it. Happy to hear it. Yeah. And also, <laughs> this is happening at the same time when you've just, you know, let you know done a lot of your own artwork at the same time. Yeah, no, that's right. There's been a lot going on. You know, yeah, I, I've had a had an exhibition in Geneva, um, and the school allowed me to to go away for this uh, and. Um, so that was really exciting, and um, and previous to that, there was some some work taken to uh, 
Döfner Judeo uh, Museum in New York for a few pieces. So that was sort of a bit of encouragement uh, to get the ball rolling, and we'll see we'll see how things go from from here. Well, beautiful, beautiful pieces. Uh, people are going to have to check that out. Um, you know, Thank when you. I'm listening to you, I, I really feel like there is this call to life um, or the existence of such a strong life force in your life, at, along with extremely life and death. And and right now, you know, dealing with pain on a daily level, it's that's not easy. Um, I would has I wouldn't say anything about it, but I know that that's got to be super challenging. But knowing what works and what it's like to be engaged and immersed, and bringing that in and sharing it with other people, so and just all the way through, it feels like there's um, it's so multi-dimensional. It's not just the light, you know, and then the dark coming in and challenging. Like it, it sounds like there was always both the light and the dark. No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, for well, life doesn't come without its challenges, and that's that that's for sure. And, and um, I've, uh, I, I think yeah, I'm going to even if I reflect back to a certain point when I'd left art school, and and I was trying to find my way in in a style that suited me or something that 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 really gripped me, you know, and. I felt like I was still stuck in something that was a bit uh, rigid. I took a trip down to London. I saw these amazing bits of paper just lying on a wall. It was really scrappy bit of art, but there was something about it that was really raw and really alive, and to me connected to surfaces that reminded me of Africa. And um, I, I started doing these huge, rough uh, bits of paper paintings and to me that was a turning point in my art of actually just making things raw and connecting to to something a, a, a raw energy uh, that, that somehow connected to the feeling of walking barefoot on on the african soil um and you know i mean i, I do keep going back to africa but you know I, I i spent 20 years feeling feeling homesick for africa and and I don't have that anymore. You know, I, I look back at with 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 joyfulness, but I don't feel homesick anymore. And I, and I feel a, a real connection to this place now as well, and to the beautiful people of Scotland. And and I think that's partly through through actually connecting and being part of community, but also uh, you know the the hills and and the landscape of Scotland is is equally stunning. Donald, it's been a joy to talk with you. I feel like I was walking through that landscape with you just now when you're talking, and I I went somewhere else, almost like a dream place. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, many artists, uh, when I talk about it, the role, what happens in their childhood, there's a lot of inspiration people return to unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of core gifts, core essence that gets touched on often later in their art life. It's interesting to me. Um, you are not alone. Uh, we will meet again. Thank you for jumping on with me. And we'll put all your, your info in the liner notes. Super. Thanks so much for that opportunity, Julie. Really appreciate that. Absolutely. Ciao. Bye now. Well, that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to invite you to check out my Creativity and Spirit Online Retreats. Experience for yourself the breakthroughs and support available when you engage your creative self in a safe and playful community. 
Begin here if you are ready to ignite your own transformational journey in a joyful way. You can also learn more about my one-on-one coaching offerings on my website, paintbiglivebig.com.